Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Gospel lesson, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And we read these words again in the name of our Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he is going to cut off. And he prunes every branch that does bear fruit, so that it will, be, it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I am going to remain in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Likewise, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him is the one who bears much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you continue to bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. These are the words of our text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have gathered once again in your house to be cleansed by your word. We pray that you would speak to us and through your word pour out your Holy Spirit upon us so that though we see our sin, we would know that we are forgiven. We also pray that the Spirit would empower us to live lives to your glory, bearing much fruit of faith. Sanctify us with the Spirit to these ends. Sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, Southwest Flight 1380 took off from LaGuardia Airport, New York, on April 15. At 32,000 feet, the left engine failed. Tammy Joe uh, Schultz piloted the plane in an emergency landing at Philadelphia International Airport. You may have seen this all on the news. She's being hailed as a hero for safely landing the crippled plane. Hailed as a hero because she saved the lives of the passengers and crew on board the plane. Unfortunately, one woman was killed from shrapnel from the engine failure. But Tammy Joe's heroics didn't end when the plane was on the ground. After landing, she walked through the cabin of the plane, personally comforting every passenger. She once publicly stated in an interview that sitting in the captain's chair gave her the opportunity to witness for Christ on almost every flight. What a witness for Christ she was that morning. 
Her fruit of faith was on display for all to see. It wasn't displayed in her incredible landing. It was visible in her genuine concern and empathetic words to the passengers in their distress and shock. She was a saint sent by God. And that should not be denied. I wonder if she sees herself the same way. When she looks in the mirror, does she see a saint or a sinner? That's the Christian paradox. We are at the same time a sinner and a saint. Historically, the Lutheran Church has expressed this in Latin. Simul justus et peccato. At the very same time, righteous and a sinner. This is a paradox. That means that both statements are true, though they seem contradictory. It's the paradox of the Christian. In any paradox, there are tension between the two truths that are being expressed. And that tension can cause some people to reject one part or the other of the paradox. Today, in the words before us, Jesus urges you to remain in the paradox. You are a sinner and a saint. Let's take up the part of the sinner first. We as Christians would probably say that there's more vis visible evidence for this part of the paradox, that we're sinners. And that shouldn't surprise us. By nature, we are sinful. Sinful fruit is what is easy for us to produce. And we look at our lives, when we look at our lives, that is probably the most evident. There are some, however, who want to get rid of the tension that this part causes by saying that there is no sin. They would claim that there is no absolute morality, no absolute right or wrong. At best, morality is subjective. And that means it's wrong or right for the individual. Coel Hellier, a UK professor of astrophysics, expressed this thought. He wrote, Thus, a subjective morality is strongly preferred to an objective one. That's because by definition, it is about what we humans want. Would we prefer to be told by some third party what we should do, even if it is directly contrary to our own deeply held sense of morality? Professor's, Professor Hellier's definition of morality is what we want. This is contrary to our own personal experience, though. 
Harvard professor of psychology, or excuse me, of education and social psychology, Lawrence Kohlberg, proved from empirical data that natural law exists. That is, a morality ruling all people. From this, we would conclude that the evidence points not to a subjective morality, but to an objective one. There is an absolute truth. There is a third party telling us what we are to do, think, and believe. His voice speaks to us naturally through our conscience, but most clearly through His written law, like the Ten Commandments. And that third party, God, clearly declares that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of what His will is. See, it's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. So His voice on one hand condemns us, teaching us the truth that yes, we are sinners. However, His voice also declares something else, something that is intimately connected with Jesus the Christ. Jesus expressed this in our text when He said, You are already clean. Because of the word I have spoken to you, remain in me and I am going to remain in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Likewise, you cannot bear fruit, for your, uh, fruit unless you remain in me. The branches, the people, are connected with Jesus, the vine and cleansed of their sins. John records Jesus using that adjective cleansed twice on the night that he was betrayed. The first is concerning Jesus washing Peter's feet. You might remember that at first Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. When Jesus explained then Peter wanted him not only to wash his feet, but his hands and his head also. Jesus responded by saying, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, but his body is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. The bath that Jesus was alluding to is baptism. In baptism, God comes to the individual, comes to the branch, and cleanses it. Paul expressed this to the Ephesians in chapter 5, where he said, Husbands, love your wives in the same way as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water in connection with the Word. He did this so that he could present her to himself as a glorious church, having no stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but so that she would be holy and blameless. In the words before us, speaking of the branches, Jesus said, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus, through his word, 
comes to individuals and declares that their sins are forgiven. He takes away their guilt and washes them with that word and truly makes them clean. You are a cleansed sinner. You believe the words that Jesus has spoken to you. And so what he says about the branches is true of you. You are clean. You are forgiven. And so what should we conclude about the reality of this part of the paradox? It is true. We are sinners. God's word and our conscience declare that it is true. But we are cleansed sinners. We have been grafted into Jesus the vine. And his word now flows through us. Taking away all of our guilt. And that's a very important part of this illustration. The sap flowing through the vine is the word of God. Jesus said, because of the word I have spoken to you. That then illustrates the importance of remaining in Jesus. Eight times in these short verses, he tells us to remain in him, remain connected to him. So drink deeply of his word. Do as Paul urged. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that life-giving word can flow to you and cleanse you of all your sins. Remain in the paradox. You are a sinner and a saint. Sometimes Lutheran preachers have come under criticism for not preaching enough about how we are to live. It is proposed that we do a fine job of preaching about the visible fruit of sin but a poor job of preaching about the visible fruit of righteousness. If that charge is true, it is a tragedy. The paradox must remain. You are a saint, excuse me, a sinner and a saint. This lesson of Jesus shows us the importance of this teaching of the fruit of faith. He spoke these words as he left the upper room and walked with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane before, uh, for prayer before his suffering and death. The fruit of faith is obviously very important to God. He wants each and every one of us this morning to look at the fruit that we are producing. The gardener, your heavenly father, desires that you be more fruitful. Jesus said, he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it will bear more fruit. 
Do you think that God is content with your current level of saintly living? Are you content with your current level of saintly living? What areas of your life need to be pruned so that you can be more fruitful? The first thing a gardener does when he is pruning a vine is looks for dead branches, dead areas. According to the illustration that Jesus used, the dead areas of our lives would be the areas of sin. The Word of God, that life-giving flat sap, can't flow into those areas. The only thing the gardener can do is cut them out. The Father prunes every branch. That, that image of cutting and pruning depicts pain. And it is true that God often uses pain to cause us to repent and to turn from our sins. Through painful experience, Jesus gets us to see the consequences of our sins and motivates us to move away from them. What areas of your life need pruning? Repent. Turn from those sins and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What areas of your life could improve? So where is there fruit that could be more fruitful? In this area, Charles we oh, excuse me, John Wesley is often quoted. He stated, the last part of the Christian to be converted is his wallet. Now, it may be true that Christians in general can improve in their area of giving. Recently, I read an article by Mike Paget, an Anglican, Australian Anglican pastor, who was actually pushing back against Wesley's idea. He was proposing that it's not just our wallets that are slow to convert to Christianity. But in fact, every part of our life. He posed the following points uh, for contemplation. Maybe criticism would be a better word. This is what he said, or proposed. We are satisfied with a form of hospitality that involves opening our homes to those of the same social class and interests. We are happy to be known as Christians in our networks, so long as we aren't known to burn with zeal for their salvation. We are content with attending church 65% of the time. We are persuaded that it is good enough to not speak ill of people rather than actively seek their good. We speak ill of people, but politely. We are glad to belong to churches that are doing good for the poor as long as they respect how busy we are. We console ourselves with the thought that we would bring people to church 
if we knew more unbelievers, or if the sermons were better, or the music. We pray when we are at Bible study, or in trouble, or have time, or are about to meet someone who we promised we'd pray for. Do any of these strike a chord with you? If they do, then there is an area for improvement. Yes, God wants to change you. He wants you to become more fruitful in every area of your life of faith. And He has given you an important aid in this pursuit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called holy, not just because He is holy, but because He makes people holy through faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings the individual the righteousness of Christ, His perfect life. So in that sense, everyone who has the Spirit is holy. The Holy Spirit is also empowering the individual to produce the fruit of faith. Paul in his letter to the Galatians actually calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And in chapter 5, this is how we list them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful flesh with its passions and desires. You belong to Christ. You have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. You have the gift of the Spirit. And He is producing fruit in you. You are a saint. You are a productive saint in the Spirit. Tammy Jo Schultz gave every Christian a powerful example. But I do wonder how she sees herself. A saint or a sinner? How do you see yourself when you look in the mirror? You are a cleansed sinner. You are a productive saint. Even though those two truths seem contradictory, they are true. Because God declares it so. Remain then in the paradox. You are a sinner and a saint. To God be the glory. Amen. Please stand for the blessing. And now may the peace of God which transcends all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.